the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. It is a Monday, the 21st morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thanks again to Jim Jordan for joining us. You know, sometimes things just line up and they work out. Um, and this is one of those. I was just talking to Jim Jordan about Joe Manchin and H.R. Uh, 1 and his op-ed that he ran about two weeks ago in which he pledged this is why he's not going to support H.R. Uh, 1, the For the People Act. It's a voter voting rights overhaul that would essentially federalize all elections, taking away the constitutionally grounded states' rights to run their own elections. And, um, you know, we were all happy when we found that, that out about Joe Manchin. But then he comes out and starts floating ideas that could maybe change the bill but not get rid of it altogether. There are some elements of it that he supports, and now we're nervous. And now we tie that into this next story and our next guest. Maybe, just maybe, H.R. 1 is the lesser of two evils. Nobody is talking about H.R. 4, which is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which some say is worse than H.R. 1. Joining us now to talk about that is a member of the board of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He is also a former Ohio treasurer and Ohio Secretary of State and former Republican nominee for governor of the state of Ohio. And I speak of Ken Blackwell returning to us on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Mr. Blackwell. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. Always a pleasure to talk with you. I'm still mad that you lost in 2006. I thought you were a phenomenal candidate. I supported you as loudly and proudly as I could, and doggone it, it didn't work. But you are still working for the people, and uh, and I love that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the John Lewis Advancement Act, Mr. Blackwell. Tell us what this is and what are the differences between this one and H.R. 1, which is the For the People Act. Well, it's really no at the core uh, at, of both pieces of legislation, there is not a substantial difference. Uh, in both cases, the objective is to federalize, as you mentioned in your uh, opening remarks, to federalize our uh, election system. Uh, right now, it is uh, a system that is grounded in uh, the, the 50 states. Uh, it is decentralized. Uh, and the worst thing in the world would be to federalize uh, our election process and put it in the hands of bureaucrats uh, in D.C. Under the uh, so-called John Lewis Act, he had very little to do with structuring this piece of legislation. Eric Holder, uh, the Obama uh, henchman, uh, was the principal architect of this, and uh, what it would do, it would put all 50 states under the thumb of the federal government, like 11 southern states and some 
jurisdictions uh, in the North were under for, for years as a consequence of getting pre having to get pre-clearance. No one argues that uh, in the 50s and in the 60s, there were problematic states uh, that needed uh, close, close scrutiny. Uh, but uh, there has been such radical uh, and substantial reform across the country uh, that as opposed to keeping uh, those 11 states and jurisdictions under the federal thumb, uh, these folks are now talking about putting all 50 states, you know, uh, under the, the, the scrutiny and the decision-making process of a, of a central government uh, that is controlled by uh, left-leaning bureaucrats. And so, look, Bob, it, this this must be stopped. There are those of us who have put a lot of time, a lot of sweat equity against making sure we create systems where it is easy to vote but hard to cheat. We don't want anybody's legally cast ballot to be negated by an illegal ballot, uh, and that's what you are seeing across the country being advanced by state legislatures, uh, one of the most noted is the the, the state of the state of Georgia, uh, and so uh, we we we're not going to be gaslighted into believing uh, that folks who 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 want uh, to put in place common sense reforms uh, that would tighten the chain of custody uh, and, and and give us verification systems that build confidence in the results, we're not going to be gaslighted into believing that we are either racist or apologists for racists. Yeah, that's exactly what they're trying to do. You know, since you bring that part up, you know, this this constant um, narrative that the left likes to use, that, you know, that voter ID laws are racist, they're discriminatory, they, they are, you know, disenfranchising of African Americans. A lot of people are calling it the bigotry of low expectations. The idea that people who are of African American descent can't get ID as easily or as accessibly or afford it as, 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 you know, white people. As a black man, I mean, does that not just <laughs> well, insult well, the living daylights out of you? Well, well, well let, let me just give you uh, a clear example of the hypocrisy uh, and the, the foolishness of, of su- such assertions. Okay. Uh, I'm probably the only shareholder of a major league baseball team that's ever run a statewide election. As you know, I'm a shareholder of the Cincinnati uh, in the Cincinnati Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I, Bob, was to leave some tickets for you to pick up at the wheel call window to see the Reds play the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, what would you have to show at that will call window? <laughs> I would <laughs> I'd probably have to show a photo identification <laughs> to prove who I am. Absolutely. Look, uh, identification uh, is is part and parcel of a, of, a, of American life. Now, uh, if you want to get a pack of cigarettes or uh, a six pack of beer. Uh, it is customary that you have to show some form of uh, ID. Uh, look, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, these woke corporations, whether it be uh, Major League Baseball or, or Delta or Coca-Cola, I mean, their hypocrisy is astounding. Uh, to, to get into, you know, 
uh, Coca-Cola's headquarters, uh, you have to show ID. You know, to get on an airplane, a Delta plane, you have to show ID. You know, and so we we can't be harangued into believing that this common sense, confidence-building practice is somehow racist. Uh, and, and, and we must push back, or that it is offensive to blacks. You know, what's, what's, what's fascinating now is that Stacey Abrams, who in fact embraced this notion of moving the All-Star game from Atlanta you know, to, to Denver, uh, when it was shown to her that the Georgia reforms were less restrictive than the already established laws in Colorado, you know, uh, she 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 sort of shrugged her shoulders and said, "Well, who's against ID?" Well, she is, and she's been trying to harangue white folks into to, into disassociating with ID, voter ID, because uh, to 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 really stay away from her her labeling as being racist. Now she and Joe Manchin, and I, I must tell you, we need to keep our eyes focused on on on. On Joe, uh, you know, I, he was treasurer of West Virginia when I was treasurer of Ohio, and so I know him. I've known him for a long time. You know, we 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 both were engaged in the National Rifle Association. Uh, he cut commercials showing what a what a sportsman he was and a gun enthusiast, uh, and and I watched him uh, as a. I am a member of the board of the NRA. I watched. Joe gradually move away from his really tough support of the Second Amendment and find ways to to sort of weaken Second Amendment rights. I'm watching him now. My eyes are glued on him. You know, he. What are you claim, seeing? When what are you seeing with those eyes? Is he I'm, is he going to is he going to fold? Starting, he's starting to move from his his position, and I will be in West Virginia this month. I will be talking to grassroots groups, and I will be saying, you know, watching, keep the pressure on him. Don't let him talk one way in West Virginia and then get into uh, Washington and cozy up to Schumer and Pelosi. You know, Mr. Blackwell, I'm, we're talking with Ken Blackwell on AM 1420, The Answer. He's a former Ohio Treasurer, Secretary of State. Um I've been trying to understand West Virginia for a long time. Um, it's my understanding that it is pretty much a solid red state, yet Democrat Joe Manchin continues to win elections there, and I'm assuming it's because they believe that he's not going to act like a Democrat all the time. But what am I missing? You're not missing anything. I mean, Joe talks a good game. You know, like I said, I showed you the Second Amendment, uh, you know, uh, uh, hopefully. Uh, we we now see him cozying up, you know, to Schumer and Pelosi, uh, putting on a, 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 a good face, uh, but behaviorally he's starting to eat away at the uh, constitutional framework of our election system, which keeps the power in the hands of state legislatures. Uh, representatives of the people and and takes it out of the hands of Washington bureaucrats. You know what I I, I say to folks uh, and, and 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 Joe and I are are are, are decent decent friends. 
you know, in, in, in terms of socializing. But politically, you know, he cannot have his fingerprints on the federalization of elections. He can't have his fingerprints on uh, making uh, D.C. a state and, and giving the Democrats two additional uh, uh, seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, he cannot be for mass amnesty, or, and he definitely can't be for court packing. And I will tell you, that's in the Nancy Pelosi-Schumer playbook, those four things, because what they're looking for are changes that would put Democrats in charge of our elections uh, and in charge for a long time of the uh, composition of right. uh, the, 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 the Congress. I Look, uh, Bob, I, I tell people this all the time. I crisscross the country. Republicans cannot be, again, I use the term gaslighted, you know, hoodwinked into believing we are some sort of 90-pound weakling of a political party. Uh, we control more chambers of state legislatures, more governorships, more uh, uh, county commission seats. At the end of the day, you know, we are a majority party, uh, and we can't act as if, you know, Nancy Pelosi, who, who actually lost seats, didn't gain anything in the last election, and Schumer, who is now, you know, by by virtue of how our federal government is structured, he has the benefit of having the vote of of the vice president, mm-hmm. but he is is in a fifty fifty Senate. So we are not the minority party across the entire country, and we we have to stop acting like it. Yeah. And, well, not only that, back. I mean, you know, what's strange about it, uh, Mr. Blackwell, is we actually should have some momentum right now. We we flipped some 15 seats. We gained 15 seats in the House on November 3rd. Uh, and obviously, as you point out, we still have a 50-50 dead even uh, split in the That's Senate. Right. So for the Democrats to, to, to govern right now as if they have some sort of national <laughs> mandate. mandate is just, it's it's a joke. Um, it is. I'm just about out of time here, but I want to ask yeah. you very quickly, if I may, because we're talking about states having the right to set their own election laws. Now, we saw Georgia and we see some some other states tightening up their election integrity laws, which they should in response to some of the fraudulent and questionable activities that took place. What about Ohio? Ohio carried Trump for, or Trump carried Ohio rather, by, by to the tune of eight, eight and a half points. Some would say, see, Ohio's works just fine. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't be ripe for corruption the next time around because they need to flip this state to blue. So when you, you're a former Secretary of State, you know what the voting system in Ohio's like. Are you comfortable with where we are or is there anything we need to tighten up? Well, we still, we still have work to do, but we, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're forward looking. You know, the great Satchel Page, that baseball legend uh, of the old Negro Baseball League, had a saying. He said, don't look back. You're not running in that direction. And, and so I, I, I tell people all the time, forward movement, state of Ohio has been on the cutting edge of making sure that our, 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 our system constantly is improving uh, so that we have voter confidence in the results of our system. But we have to make sure, uh, one, that our our regulation of ballot drop boxes, uh, we have to take every step to protect against uh, ballot harvesting. Uh, 
Right. Uh, we, we can't fall into the trap of ballot curing. Uh, and we must and, make and sure. unlimited, unrequested mail-in voting that, as that's well. Right. That's, I, the, I, that's the I, biggest absolutely. one. And we must make sure <laughs> that folks like Zuckerberg uh, don't, in fact, invade our system, uh, well tilt the scales with private dollars. Well said, uh, Mr. Blackwell. I really appreciate you coming on. We're out of time. Great right, information. Bob. You are a wealth of it, and we appreciate you sharing some of it. Thank, Thank you so much, brother. sir. All right. Bye-bye. That's Ken Blackwell, uh, AM 1420, The Answer. We went way long, so we're going to go out for a little while and then come back on AM 1420, The Answer. Everybody's coming, leave your body at the door. Okay, 1027, short segment here before the bottom of the hour news. Uh, we'll be guest free for the rest of the way. So if you want to dial two one six nine zero one zero nine four five or triple eight two eight one, we will get you onto the program. I'm going to close this hour or this half hour rather with the reading of uh, what I want to talk about next hour, next half hour. Um, Cole Beasley is not a super duper well known NFL wide receiver, but he's well known enough, and right now he's known better than being a wide receiver for being courageous enough to fly in the face of the vaccine or else bullies. Uh, He tweeted the following a few days ago. He has been called out. He has been criticized. He has been threatened. He has been everything you can imagine from the political left that is pro-vaccine at all costs. And he is being supported and defended by people who believe in freedom, medical freedom, my body, my choice. Cole Beasley wrote the following. Everyone, hi, I'm Cole Beasley, and I'm not vaccinated. I will be outside doing what I do. I'll be out in the public. If you're scared of me, then steer clear or get vaccinated. Point blank, period. I may die of COVID, but I'd rather die actually living. I have family members whose days are numbered. If they want to come and see me and stay at my house, then they are coming regardless of protocols. I don't play for the money anymore. My family has been taken care of. Find me if you want. My way of living and my values are more important to me than a dollar. I love my teammates and enjoy playing ball because of uh, because all the outside BS goes out the window in those moments. I just want to win the Super Bowl and enjoy these relationships that will be created along the way. I'm not going to take meds for a leg that isn't broken. I love that line. I'd rather take my chances with COVID and build up my immunity that way. Eat better, drink water, exercise, and do what I think is necessary to be a healthy individual. That is, all caps here, my choice based on, all caps, my experience and what I think is best. I'll play for free this year to live life how I've lived it from day one. If I'm forced into retirement, so be it. I've enjoyed the times I've had. I'll get to live freely with my wife, kids, and extended family forever. We'd get to enjoy the times that we missed from the sacrifices we've had to make just so I could play this wonderful game. So either way, it's a win-win. That's where I stand. Thank you for everyone who has been supportive throughout this process. A lot of other NFL players hold my position as well, but aren't in the right place in their careers to be so outspoken. I feel for you, and I'm hoping I'm doing my part to represent you guys well. Signed, Cole Beasley. An NFL player that is worth celebrating. An NFL player that is worth 
cheering an NFL player that's got the guts to stand up and say, my body, my choice. Can you dig it? Your phone calls after the news. Two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, so I just kind of laid it out before the break, before the bottom of the hour news there about uh, an NFL player that I can actually get behind. I've been, you know, I've had a very, very hard time. I've not watched any of the NBA. I don't think I've watched an inning of Major League Baseball this year either. And last year, I boycotted the NFL for the entirety of the season until the Browns playoff game. And then um, uh, then I watched uh, uh, the Super Bowl as Tom Brady made history. So not that I'm proud of caving in at that particular point in time. But my point is, I've been very much out of the game, if you will. <clears throat> and the reason is why. Wokeness is destroying all of those sports. Wokeness and um, you know uh, lies, uh, attacks on country. And so on and so forth. I just can't do it anymore. And so that's just how I felt. But I'm inspired by people like Cole Beasley. I'm inspired by somebody. And, and by the way, this is something that is going on not just at the NFL level when, when it comes to players. Do you know what they're doing to journalists? I've talked to some. If you're a newspaper or tele- writer or reporter or television reporter or whatever... The NFL is going to require you to show a vaccine passport, in other words, a vaccine card, vaccinated card, in order to get into their press boxes to cover games or go into locker rooms and cover players and coaches. They're going to make sure you have a vaccine, even if you don't need one, even if you, like me, are just so swimming in antibodies because you had COVID before. I had it last October. Nine months after having COVID-19, I did an antibodies test. Anything over .07 in the reading is considered to be positive for antibodies that fight COVID-19 if reinfections or new infections were introduced. .07 or above. My number was 1,147. I am a walking vaccine. I don't need a vaccine. I have natural immunity, and they would want me, if I was still covering the NFL as I once did, to get to, to have a vaccine to prove I have been vaccinated in order to do my job. They're doing it at the collegiate level as well. To players, to coaches, to uh, reporters, and so on and so forth. Somebody needs to take a stand, and Cole Beasley did. And I'm very, very encouraged by that. And if you have thoughts on him, I would love to hear them at 216-901-0945 again or 888-281-1110. That's 888-281-1110. Cole Beasley said, my choice, my choice, and I'll take my chances with the natural immunity I can build up over getting this vaccine, which I find to be questionable, essentially is what he's saying. I don't take medication for a broken leg that I don't have, and I'm not going to take some sort of vaccine for a virus I do not have. Even if I do get, chances are, like 99.8% of the population, I will recover from. So I'm just very, very excited about that. One sports story that I am less excited for, as you can imagine, 
and I'll just hit this real quick before I get a call or two in here. One sports story that I'm a sports story rather that I'm very disappointed about is the Olympics. The Olympics have gone woke, as you can imagine, because it is international, and they are now allowing biological males to compete against biological females in the Olympics. And the first one has actually been um, has been uh, uh, confirmed. Whatever you want to say, a male weightlifter from New Zealand who says that she, or he rather, is a female, is going to be competing against the females in the sport of weightlifting at the Olympics. It is one of these things that just you know makes you scratch your head and say, what are we doing? Why are we allowing this? It cannot be, but here we are. Laurel Hubbard is her name. Again, I shouldn't even buy into this and participate in the delusion, but there it is. Laura Hubbard is the individual's name. He, she is the, again, it's a male. I'm sorry. It just, it is what it is. He is the first quote unquote transgender athlete to compete at the Olympics. He lifted 628 pounds in two lifts to qualify in the women's super heavyweight division. I'm grateful and humbled by the kindness and support that's been given to me by so many New Zealanders. Hubbard, who's 43 years old, said, the report, the idea that this 43-year-old, by the way, would ever be able to compete in the men's division, of course, is laughable, which is why this 43-year-old competing against women is so ridiculous. In 2015, the International Olympic Committee changed its rules to allow transgender athletes to compete as long as their testosterone level is below a certain level and maintained for a year. That determining criteria, a maximum reading of 10 nanomoles per liter of testosterone, is still at least five times more than a biological woman would have. I'll say that, and then I'll say this, because I've studied this. It's not just about testosterone. It's bone density. It's lung capacity. It's muscle size. It is skeletal size. All of the things that give males massive advantages over females when it comes to physical performance are still there, regardless if you take a testosterone blocker. Critics say that Hubbard will still have an unfair advantage, you think, when he competes in the women's super heavyweight category. The Guardian, citing IOC guidelines, reported that athletes who transition from male to female are allowed to compete in events without surgically removing their genitalia. The paper reported that some recent studies show power gain during the male pu- that during gain power gain during male puberty can last. Uh, New Zealand Olympic Committee says it's clear. That Hubbard has met all the criteria to compete. We acknowledge that gender identity in sport is a highly sensitive and complex issue, requiring a balance between human rights and fairness on the field of play. As the New Zealand team, we have a strong culture of hospitality and inclusion and respect for all. I'm going to stop there and say it's not a complex issue at all. It may be sensitive, but it's not complex. It's simple. I have done it before, and I'll do it again. I will tell you to take the waistband test. If you are not certain whether you're a male or a female, don't worry about getting psychological examinations. Don't worry about anything. Simply take the waistband test. Step one, put your thumb inside the waistband of your underwear. Step two, pull it out. Step three, look down. Step four, test completed. That's how you tell whether you're a male or a female. It's the waistband test, and it is completely 100% reliable. All right, Matthew in Medina. You're on AM 1420. The answer, Matthew, good morning. Go right ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. Thank you. Boy, you got a great show going. 
what I wanted to talk about was uh, uh, this uh, hero that they're making out of that guy up in Minnesota. Yeah, they, they've got a statue. A they, just built an, they just built another statue of him. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm a World War II veteran. You know that. I've told you that before. And I can speak for all veterans. You know, Bob, we stuck our noses out in World War II and are behind in World War II for all of these creeps that are running around. And I've never seen the United States in such a deplorable condition that it is today. And I am, uh, you know, if you uh, have any knowledge of the Bible, there's a saying in there. I can't remember the first part. But it says, so anyhow, it says, we are the young, and then the other part is, we are the old who yearn for your face. And I'm 94 now, and I'm yearning for his face every day. And I thank you for your time, and God bless you and your family. Well, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. And I, too, yearn uh, for his faith. Listen, um you know, the, the George Floyd story, if you don't know what he's talking about, I, that's how I started the show today with an extended monologue, George Floyd is being honored with a statue, a statue of him built in Brooklyn, New York. And again, this, you know, he's, he's, he, he lost his life or died of however he died. I don't want to get into the drama of all of that in Minnesota, but it's in Brooklyn. They built a statue to him, a statue to honor him. You don't build statues of people for any other reason than to, to uh, uh, intend honor to be placed upon their name. George Floyd never lived an honorable day in his life. George Floyd was a criminal from the beginning to the end. George Floyd was a very dangerous human being. George Floyd is not somebody to be honored. Murder victims don't get statues. War veterans, very few of them anyway, get statues. But this guy, uh, just because he was killed, and they're calling it a murder, and I disagree with the way they found that out, but whatever, still don't get statues. If you only, you know, the only quote-unquote cause or reason for such a memorial honoring is the fact that you died in in less than ideal circumstances then my gosh this this nation would be overrun with statues this guy has no reason whatsoever to be to to deserve a statue but yet that's what they have done and i played uh, an extended response to that well not a response to it but the response to george floyd being painted as a hero from uh Candace Owens earlier in the program. I probably don't have time to give you that again, but just know that this was a bad man who lived a very bad life, and the fact that he died in the uh, circumstances that he did did not change that. What this does, though, is it underscores our complete shift, our public shift in priority, our public shift in what is what, what we value and what we cherish. We have, under progressive leadership, and that's what's going on here, I mean, look at the creation of Juneteenth. Look at the creation of this as a national holiday. A federal holiday is another example of this. Under progressive leadership, something that has already been a state holiday in Texas, because that's where it is specific to, now has to become a federal holiday. Why? Did the circumstances about Juneteenth and how uh, a few slaves that were uh, being held and you know forced into the servitude that a slave is, um, in Port Galveston, Texas, Port of Galveston, Texas, they found out well after the Emancipation Proclamation actually took effect on January 1st, 1863. They didn't find out that it took effect that they had been freed by Abraham Lincoln and that proclamation about two years earlier. 
when they found out, it, it was obviously very specific just to Texas. To everybody else, we celebrate what? The emancipation. To everybody else, like nationally, we would sell. If you want to create a holiday, create the emancip- or create a holiday for the emancipation. It was delivered. The proclamation was delivered on September twenty second, eighteen sixty two. It took effect on January first, eighteen sixty three. Choose one of those if you want to celebrate the end of slavery. It is certainly worth celebrating. But why Juneteenth? Juneteenth, because Juneteenth is, has been traditionally, again, already being a state holiday in Texas, it has traditionally been marked only by African Americans. And this is another bow, if you want to use that word, it's another bow to um, African Americans in the post-George Floyd era. Anything, let me put it to you another way. How important was it to make Juneteenth a national holiday to our president, Joe Biden? How incredibly important was it to to honor and to pay tribute to and to commemorate the day that the last remaining slaves in Galveston, Texas, realized that they were actually free the last time they were told? It's very rural there, and they didn't know. How important was it? That, that Joe Biden made it a mission of his to sign this into law as a federal holiday, here's how important it is. Last year, on June 11th, Joe Biden was doing a press conference. This is when it was Joe Biden for president. He was running. He was doing a press conference, and somebody asked him about Donald Trump. Somebody asked him about Donald Trump going somewhere. And this is what Joe Biden said in response. I want you to listen to this. Very, very important. All right. Sorry about that. Hold on a second. Slight glitch. Let me reset that. Here we go. He's going down at Texas on Juneteenth, right? The first major massacre, literally speaking, of the uh, Black Wall Street, right? Years ago. Joe Biden declared on June 11th that... Donald Trump was going down to Texas on Juneteenth because Juneteenth was when they had the first major massacre of the Black Wall Street years and years ago. There's only about four things wrong with that. Number one, Juneteenth was June 19th, not June 11th. Number two, Juneteenth had nothing to do with the Tulsa Massacre. Juneteenth is about emancipation. Number three, Tulsa is in Oklahoma, not Texas. Number four, Joe Biden is one dumb son of a gun. Joe Biden thought Juneteenth marked the day of the Tulsa massacre, which is in Oklahoma, not in Texas, and yet sat there and said at a press conference, asked a question about it, about where Donald Trump was going, and this was his, his thought. He's going down to Texas on Juneteenth, right? The first major massacre, literally speaking, of the uh, Black Wall Street, right? Years ago. One year ago, Joe Biden had never heard of the word Juneteenth. He thought it was the Tulsa massacre. He had no idea what it was. You heard him in his own words. That was one year ago. He had no idea what Juneteenth was. Now this year... Now this year, because of the racial reckoning, 
And because of the call for reparations and the advancement of critical race theory and anti-racism and all the rest, suddenly he's got to get that pen in his hand. I have got to sign Juneteenth into legislation or sign that legislation into law to make it a national holiday so we can celebrate the first uh, the the Black Wall Street massacre in Oklahoma uh, or something like that. He didn't know what it was. So the advancement of George Floyd statues, the advancement of Juneteenth as a holiday, as if it I mean, is nothing more than a continuation of the attempt to destroy and divide this country along racial lines. That's it. That's what the entire goal is. Do not misunderstand. Anybody who's going to talk to you about racial, critical uh, race theory, rather, anybody who's going to talk to you about 1619 projects, anybody who's going to talk to you about Juneteenth as a holiday, it's all intended to design, divide rather blacks and whites. Make no mistake about it. All right, final time out here. We'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Okay, I'm going to give you an assignment here uh, on the way out the door. Okay? This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Write down our message line number right now. So you can call later today, whenever you want. Between now, today, between now and tomorrow's show. 216-525-1806. I want to conduct a straw poll of sorts of my own on what I talked to Jim Jordan about at the end of the uh, first hour of the broadcast. He went on TV with uh, with uh, Judge Janine and declared that uh, President Trump is going to run for and win the presidency again in 2024, when, and that's exactly what he wants. My question for Jim Jordan was, are you sure that's the wise thing for the Republican Party? Certainly, we want this to be a Trump party, an America first party, a make America great again party. But perhaps the president may best serve that cause from behind the throne rather than being in it. Being the man who's devising and driving the policies rather than being in it, in that chair. Because right now, Ron DeSantis is a flat-out conservative rock star. What he is doing in Florida is what we want done all over the country. It's what Donald Trump wanted done all over the country. And in fact, they're almost mirror images. But DeSantis comes without some of the warts, if you will. There was a straw poll that was just done, and there has been several of these done, and they have all turned out very similar. This one was done at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver, and Ron DeSantis uh, was the choice of the straw poll, receiving 74% of the votes. President Trump gained 71% of the support. It's not out of 100%, obviously. It's just of all the supporters. Um, Ron DeSantis is a flat-out superstar. And the question I'm asking you, and this is your mission should you choose to accept it, would you rather see Ron DeSantis at the top of a ticket in 2024, backed by President Trump, Or would you rather see President Trump once again back on the ticket at the top? 
All right. I want you to call our message line between now and then at 216-525-1806 between now and tomorrow morning and tell me, would you rather see DeSantis at the top of the ticket or Trump at the top of the ticket? Now, it's only 2021, so there's a ton of time to go. You're not married to this, but I do want to see where your thought process is. 216-525-1806. Please leave a message between now and tomorrow morning's show, and we'll play the responses on the air and talk about it then. Until then, have a great day. Mike Gallagher's next on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.